Amen. Grab a seat and open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. Uh, we are actually in Mark 4. Yes, I love Mark 4. You have no idea what an impact Mark 4 has had on the impact in my life and ministry. So these two Sundays are going to be huge. But we're going to start in Matthew 7 today. So where are you at? Matthew 7. Excellent. Well, Matthew 7, we are at the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, a collection of this, what Jesus is saying here. And one of the things I want to just bring to your attention is, is when Jesus was talking, all these headings weren't put in there. And oftentimes when we read the Sermon on the Mount, all the little uh, title headings, which are great for getting around in our Bible, sometimes get in the way. And this is a continuing on here, and you'll see here, I want to read us, have us read two paragraphs that I think, are, I think are absolutely critical and important for where we're going in Mark chapter 4. Let me begin by reading in verse 15. So chapter 7, verse 15, okay? Let me begin there. He, so he's been preaching and he comes to here, almost to the end of his sermon. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? No. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Let's pause there. There's there's a lot of fruit talk going on in this paragraph here for sure. Verse 16, they're recognized by their fruits. Verse 17 talks about how there's good fruit, bad fruit, and that's directly tied to good trees, bad trees in the discussion. Then verse 20, uh, you will recognize them by their fruit. I think a summary of this whole paragraph is the proof is in the fruit. The proof of the tree is in the fruit that it produces. Let's read the next paragraph. Verse 21. Friends, this is probably the uh, most stunning, scary paragraph in the entire Bible. By the way, it continues from the discussion just said, verse 20, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, a few will... No. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name? And Lord, did we not do many works, mighty works in your name? Verse 23. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. Whoa. Wow. The context here is Jesus is not talking in this last paragraph, Jesus is not talking to atheists. He's not talking to unbelievers. 
Here Jesus is talking to people who are doing ministry. He's talking here to people who it even says they're doing mighty works in the name of God. These are actually people that they think that they are redeemed and saved a child of God. But but there's a problem here. Do you see it? So something's, something's not connecting here because they think they're in the right place with the Lord. And yet here Jesus says this response to them, uh, uh, just, uh, uh, I never knew you. And notice in it, many. In other words, this is not a rarity. This is many people. Let me put it in the context if I can. This is talking to church people. This is talking to people in this building. People in this building who who say, well, I'm a child of God. And yet Jesus here is saying, I don't even know you. All of this just forces the two questions on the table. How can this be? I mean, really, isn't it? How can this be? How can it be that many people who think they are in the right place with the Lord, that they are God's children, how can this be that that, that they're they're so hoodwinked in themselves somehow? And not only how can this be, but I think a viable question is to ask is, is, might this be me? I mean, might this be you? Well, with these questions on the table, and boy, it's heavy, isn't it? Turn to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. And the reason I'm going to Matthew 7 and putting that on the table is because I think what Jesus says here in these first 20 verses of chapter 4 are verses that help us to understand the two questions I've put on the table of how can that be? How can Matthew 7 be? And also how we can know if it is or is not us. For sure, with confidence. And that's what Mark 4 is about. Mark here gives us four parables in verses 1 through 34. Uh, Today, I'm just going to be covering uh, the first 20 verses, the first parable. We're going to then jump to the end of the chapter next Sunday. But I want for you to know this. All four of these parables are being given telling the same truth. And the truth is this. The proof is in the fruit. The proof is in the fruit. It is not just about position and declaration. We talked about that last Sunday a little bit. It's not just about position and declaration, but it's about continuation. It's about fruit because the fruit proves the reality of the position of the person with Jesus. God, I pray as we dig into Mark chapter 4 that you would just be here. Or this, Lord, you know, this passage has had huge implications in my own personal life and has had huge implications in actually how I do ministry. God, I just pray, sometimes when we come to these passages in my position, it's just you want to get so much out on the table and yet it's so hard. Would you be here and help? This is your thing. This is your word. This is your truth. This is about you. This is coming from you. It's not about me. And Lord, I would just pray that the Spirit of God would be here working in this building this morning in a big way. I mean, in a big way, as it already has. Lord, we're excited to be able to get some questions answered. So we go there. 
In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let me pick up chapter four. Mark chapter four, you there? Yep, you there? All right, let's do that. Let me read the first nine verses. So here we are. Uh, Mark chapter four, verse one. Again, uh, he began to teach beside the sea. And there was a little itty bitty tiny crowd that gathered. No, there was what? What kind of crowd? Like a really humongous crowd. Okay, understand, uh, I'm in this. This is a large crowd. This is like thousands of people here. Okay, Uh, he begins to teach by the sea and there's been a very large crowd gathered by him so that he had to get into a boat and sit in it on the sea. I mean, it was so big, it was pushing him into the water. And so he's like, let me get in a boat, let me pull out so I can talk to this whole crowd. And the whole crowd is beside the sea on the land. Got Got a picture in your head? And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen! Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately, okay, second service, you're my shy group. Okay, when we get immediately, bam, just emphasizing it because Mark does it a number of times. Other seed fell on rocky ground, verse 5, where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and it choked it and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced. It fell into good soil and it produced grain. Growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's talk about this for just a minute. What was the sower sowing? Seed. Got the picture? How many soils was he casting the seed out onto? Four. Four seeds. Okay? Let's keep reading. Verse 10. And when he was alone, okay, that means all this event, is now kind of the crowd's dissipated and, and, and so it's been some time. I don't know how long. Has it been a couple hours? Has it been uh, into the evening? I have no idea. But when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked. And they asked him about the parables. Pause. I love that. It gives me so much hope. I mean, here are these followers and the disciples. It's not just the disciples asking. In fact, you could read that where it's actually not the disciples asking, but it's the followers asking. Or it could be the followers and the disciples asking. In other words, they were talking about this whole thing like, you have four soils and seed being thrown out. Hey, I'm kind of embarrassed to say this, but does anybody have any idea what he was just talking about? No, I don't have any idea. Do you have any idea? No, I don't have any idea either. I was too scared to say anything about it. Do you have any idea? I'll tell you what. Someone got the bright idea. Hey, I I know. How about we ask him? These guys are like scientists, aren't they? This is just amazing. But I love the fact that they don't get it. That gives me hope. 
I'm telling you, this gives me hope. So here they come to Jesus and he asks them, like, what it is? And so he says to them, uh, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So that they may indeed see, but not perceive. And may indeed hear, but not understand. Lest they should turn and be forgiven. Wow, this is really, I don't have time to go into all the depths of what's going on. Because it, doesn't it kind of sound like Jesus doesn't want anybody to know? Well, let me explain to you what's going on with parables. First, what's a parable? A parable is a story that has teaching in it. Parables are stories that teach. It's more than just a story, but it's a story that teaches. Parables are images on steroids. It's imagery on steroids that has a deeper meaning. I mean, parables grab the imagination. Parables, as they're put out there, they're memorable. You may forget everything that's said today, but you can remember the story of four soils and seed being thrown out onto it. Uh, That's what's so cool about parables. They, they, They help us remember, and we live in a visual age, and I am big time a visual person. And that's why he uses parables, but, but that's what a parable is. Why does he use them? Well, purpose number one, parables reveal truth. Parables reveal truth. Oh, by the way, dot, dot, dot to learners. Parables reveal truth to learners. The, the learner's mindset is moved by the parable. I mean, they replay it, they rethink it. And they don't get frustrated with it. They don't get offended by it. They don't get defensive about it. And in fact, that, that's what's exactly what's happening in verse 10. They're playing it over again in their head. And they're like, I want to get this. I want to understand this. And then they come back to Jesus. And say, uh, we've tried, but we're not getting this. Can you help? Listen, those are learners. That's what's happening. And they're learners in it. And that's what parables do. Uh, They they don't frustrate learners. In fact, they charge them up. And frankly, they humble them. It's like, uh, I don't get it. Parables reveal truth to learners. Purpose number two is parables hide truth from non-learners. Parables hide truth from non-learners. Truth of the matter is, non-learners get irritated with parables. It's like, dude, just speak in English. Just give me the one, two, three. Just give me the outline. <laughs> it's like, come on, hurry it up. Snap, 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 snap. What are you playing around with all the picture for? Uh, non-learners get defensive. They get annoyed. They get frustrated. They get offended. It's like, stop playing a mind game with me. Stop ma- trying to manipulate me. That's what Jesus is saying in the text. Listen, here's why I do parables. Because parables draw out learners and parables show who the non-learners are. Parables actually push away non-learners. I'm out. Give me the cliff notes when you got them. By the way, I think I can prove that from the text. Look at verse 3. Jesus starts out and he says, listen, listen. Oh, he may have been from calming the crowd down, but why? He could have said, hey, 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 everybody here. But instead, he starts off by saying, listen to me, listen to me. It's a call to learners. And then look at the end down in verse 9. He says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Why would he say that? That's exactly what Jesus is addressing. Hey, learners, 
hear what I just said. And that's also including it. I realize there's people, they don't want to know. That's okay. That's okay. Now's not the time. But for learners, listen up. That's what Jesus is doing here. Parables are stories that teach. They reveal truth to learners. They hide truth from non-learners. The parables we're about to get into answer the question of how can Matthew 7 be? How can somebody be serving the Lord around God's people, proclaiming themselves as a child of God? And yet Jesus go, I don't know you. This is what this helps us with here. So let's dig into it. By the way, every person is one of these four soils. Every person is one of these four soils. And so today as we go through these four, you need to ask yourself before the Lord, I can't tell. You need to be asking yourself before the Lord, which soil describes me? Because friends, the answer to that has eternal ramifications to it. It's that important. So here we go, verse 13. And Jesus, he said to them, do you not understand this parable, guys? How then will you understand all the parables? Pause. You know, it's kind of cool to see Jesus every so often pressing into his peeps and just going, you should be understanding this by now. Come on. Why aren't you understanding this by now, guys? Uh, He pushes in. By the way, the big point of that is every parable that Jesus gives can be understood, are intended to be understood. And a lot of times people see the Bible as just like this whole mishmash of gobbledygook that who in the world can understand it? Well, Jesus is like, listen, I'm saying these things, even the story things, these things are said to be understood. Don't be confused, understand them. So that's how we're going to approach it. And then now what happens? He begins to explain it. Here we go. Soil number one. Which soil? Soil number one, the hard heart. It's the path. It's verses 14 and 15. Jesus' explanation of it. Okay. Guys, you're not quite sure what it is. Here we go. The sower sows the word. The word, the word, the word. John 1. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. Jesus Christ. And the sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Okay, let's pause. Sower. The sower is God the Father. Uh, the seed is God the Son. It's Jesus Christ. John 1. It's, it's the truths of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the fact that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh has come, died on the cross, risen from the dead, providing salvation as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Those who declare his name. Hmm. We'll find out a little bit more about that here in just a minute. Sower is God the Father. The seed is Jesus Christ. The path is a person. It's a person who's become hard to God. They've been heavily trodden upon by thinking and by responses to people and circumstances. Picture it, a path. Everything used to be the same, but then a path gets walked on. 
Not just once. You don't walk on something and then it's like you step on it and go, it's a path now. I mean, it has to be walked on again and again and again. And over time, it gets crunched down, right? And so the soil in that area gets pushed down and it gets harder and harder. And it's, it's in this illustration, it's from that own person and their own thinking about life. And they're thinking about God and they're thinking about other people. They're just hard. And it gets crushed down and, and they're, they're, they're not learners, they're, they're, they're not humble, and they're just angry with God. And it's like, get out, who cares? And that's even confirmed by the fact when the word of Jesus Christ is sown and it lands on the path, it, it sits on top. It, it's hard, it can't, it's like asphalt, it, it can't get down in there. And then uh, the bird comes along and Satan comes along and he's like, burr, burr, and he takes him out. Why? Because Satan doesn't want to lose his own. And so it's hard, and so Satan comes and takes it away, and, and, and that's the hard path. Uh, by the way, paths are formed over time. Paths are formed over time. Over time, they become their own truth. Over time, they become their own learning. Only time, they become submitting to themselves. They become hard over time. Also, how do you know a path? Uh, because it's, there's no vegetation on it. I mean, if someone were just to walk outside and go, there's a path, and you're like, no, it's not, because I can see grass is growing on it. I haven't seen that it's trampled down. How do you know a path? You know a path by looking at it. There's no fruit coming out of it. No fruit that matches life. There's nothing. It's dead. It's hard. There's no vegetation. There's no fruit produced there. And then Satan comes along and pulls the seed away. By the way, I just... I want to note that paths can become fruitful soil. But, but to have a path ha- become fruitful soil, a path has to have an implement that comes across it and dig it and turn it over. Ouch. By the way, and I'll just say this, God loves people so much that even the hard-hearted people, God allows hard things at times to come into their life to try and turn them over so they can be ground that can be fruitful. I just want to ask, might you be the first soil? Listen, you you may be offended by me asking that. Don't don't be. I'm, I'm not condemning you. I'm not at all. Maybe you're here today and you think this is total ridiculousness. You think that God, there is none. You think this whole Jesus thing is a fabricated bunch of bull and you really don't care. Uh, and listen, I want for you to know, one, just, just admitting that to yourself is important because Jesus has that. And I want for you to know that if that's you, I love people who think. And I want to invite you at any point in time, whether it's me, whether it's one of our other pastors or our elders or people here, small group leaders at our church, if you ever want to sit down and just talk with someone and go like, I don't get this stuff. This stuff, frankly, seems ridiculous to me. Give me, give, talk, give me the talk. I want to hear some things or I want to push back or do you have realized how could a God allow bad things to happen in this world? Let's talk about it. I just want for you to know, I would love that kind of conversation. Not to condemn you, not to go, you're an idiot, but just to have the conversation. I love people that think. I just, I really, if that's you, the table is open at any time to talk. Jesus loved people who thought. And some of the most thinking people are path people. 
If you ever want to talk, let us know. Hey, if you have a child or a parent or a friend or family member or coworker who is hard, I just want to encourage you, uh, um, if you will, I might, I'll just say this boldly, stop preaching and start praying. They're hard. They're green apples. They're not ready for picking. And pray for them and just live Jesus and love on them. Okay? Soil number one, the hard heart. Soil number two, the shallow heart. The shallow heart. It's rocky soil, verse 16 and 17. Jesus says, and and these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who when they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy. You got that? This is talking about the person that's like, oh man, I heard about Jesus. I heard about what Jesus has done. And, and I've heard he died on the cross and rose from the dead. And I've heard that as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God. And someone gave an altar call and I made an altar call. And I, 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 I made a position and a declaration. Woo, I'm in this Jesus thing. And then he's the one sown the rock again. The ones who heard the word immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves. This isn't talking about self-esteem or aren't you awesome. This is talking there's no spiritual depth in that person. Uh, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Uh, three key words. Position and declaration must be followed up with continuation. Position and declaration are proved by continuation. Well, what's happening here? Well, let's talk about it. First they hear, but there's no real root in them. It even says they endure for a while. There's no real growth. There's no real discipleship. By the way, this is often one of the greatest mistakes in churches in America today. They make easy position calls for a declaration, and then there's no discipleship follow-up. And it's like, woo, they received Jesus. And, and then what happens? And, and then the text tells us here, tribulation or persecution comes along, an account of the word, on account of being now a stated Christ follower. And they get knocked off their bike. And they don't get back up on the bike. They scrape their knee, they bang their shoulder, and they grab their bat and their ball and they go home. I never asked to be in on this. What am I talking about? They get on the bike and they're going, going along, okay? However that looks, Pee Wee Herman, okay? They're just pedaling along. It's like I'm on, I'm on the bicycle with God and they're pedaling along and all of a sudden someone, I don't know, maybe it's a coworker or maybe it's a situation, but it's trial or persecution on account of the word. Hey, Jesus follower, you idiot. Boom, and they get hit by a trial water balloon and they fall off their bike. And they're like, whoa, wait a second here. I thought following Jesus meant I would be healthy, wealthy, and always happy. That's not what I signed up for is to get knocked off my bike. I'm out of here. Friends, hear me very clearly. Soils number two and three is not talking about losing one's salvation. Soils two and three is talking about the person who's made a declaration but was never saved. It's not talking about carnal Christianity. 
Jesus doesn't talk about that anywhere like that. Hey, listen, we all sin. Even this, even the redeemed person sins. We all get that. We all jump into some of these soils at times in our life. But Jesus is laying out a pattern here. What's most like you in this? And here in it, what Jesus is laying out is the fact that a person makes, takes a position, makes a declaration. They're going along. Continuation, the fruit validates where they're at. And they get bombed with a following Jesus persecution. And please understand, in the time when this was written to Roman Christians, they knew persecution. I mean, they were hauled away, lost everything, put into slavery, smacked up, the whole deal. We don't have that as much today. But do know this, we have comfort Christianity today. And even coming along that, people are like, boom, what do you mean I get this because I'm following Jesus? What's that deal with that? Come on, God, you're supposed to make me healthy, wealthy, and happy. Uh, Listen, trials and persecution are part of following Jesus. Do you know that? It's like, so that's what I get for following Jesus? You mean the word tells me that I'm supposed to Love my spouse, husbands, like Christ betrayed himself, walking down the Via Della Rosa for his, for his bride. You mean I'm supposed to love my wife like that? I'm out. You mean I'm supposed to be a wife that loves my husband like the church loves Christ, yielding myself? I'm out. You mean that I'm supposed to parent that way? You mean I'm supposed to love my neighbor? You mean I'm supposed to love my enemy, which may even be in my home right now? I'm out. That's ridiculous. I'm not doing that. You mean the Bible tells me that I'm supposed to deny myself? I'm out. You may not say out, but you are living out. Friends, this is hard stuff. And I want for you to know I get no thrill in laying this on the table. But it has to be heard. The shallow heart says, I'll only do so much until you do something. The shallow heart says, I'll only sacrifice so much. I'll only submit so much. It's my life. I do it on my terms. I'm not willing to give up. I'm not willing to give in. I'm not willing to do that. I'm not willing to do that. It's too hard. I'll do just enough. After all, I didn't sign up for something hard. Let me ask you, is that you? It's a question of huge ramification. Because know this, you can punk yourself but you cannot punk Jesus. And you can hoodwink yourself, but you cannot hoodwink Jesus. And he knows. And if you have any question or any doubt about that, is this me? I just want to let you know, in love, you are in eternal question. You are church attender, church member. You are. Soil number three. 
Soil number three. Soil number three is the crowded heart. It's the thorns. Verses 18 through 19. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word. By the way, all three have heard the word. Those are those who hear the word, verse 19. But the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Oh, my word. This is America. Um, they hear the word. They hear of Jesus Christ. But it's a crowded world that they have Jesus in. It's Jesus plus, 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 plus. And it's Jesus plus one, the cares of the world. How I look, my image, my pet, my lawn, my career, what's going on in the economy, the politics, my word, everything is going on with wars over in the Middle East. Oh my word, are we going to like die? Yeah, I get it. By the way, I took a shower this morning, I looked in the mirror, I combed my hair, and I even asked Karen, what should I wear? And that's okay. Nothing's wrong with looking good. Hey, fix the ship up. It's all right. Nothing's wrong with that. Nothing's wrong with having a pet. Nothing's wrong with having a really nice lawn. Nothing's wrong with having a nice home. Nothing's wrong with any of those kinds of things. But, but, but when those things become what my life is about, it's really this. Jesus is on the shelf of all this stuff. And I'm in stuff and the cares of the world drive me. Secondly, the deceitfulness of riches. Man, if I just had more money, life would be easier. Money brings comfort. Money brings position. Money brings ease. And a friend once say, you know, wealth brings ease, but it doesn't necessarily bring joy. Money brings security. Money satisfies me. And when it really comes down for it, if I were God looking at me, I live for money. By the way, how secure are you in your money? Hey, I'm all about the IRAs and the 401k and all this kind of stuff. Nothing's wrong with that. In fact, I think I can prove that from Scripture. But do know this. Do you realize that can be gone in a lick? Do you know back uh, in the Great Depression, right before the stock market dropped, there was a cruise of millionaires that left off the East Coast and went on a two-week cruise. They left millionaires. On their trip out, the stock market crashed. When they docked, they had nothing. Nothing. And yet we spend all our time stacking it and weighing it and measuring it and calculating out how much it'll take us through to the end. Hey, I get that. I've done some of that planning myself. But do know this. It can be gone in a moment. And is that what you're trusting on? Is that the thing that you're about? Is that the thing that you're living for? Oh, yeah, and I have puppy Jesus along with me too. Shame on us. Deceitfulness of riches, the desire for things. Do you desire stuff more than you desire Jesus? I mean, are you and I spending more time yearning to have just the one more thing that I really need and not much time yearning for Jesus? Man, does Jesus just not like nail it? This is hardcore, you guys. This is total hardcore, but it's hardcore because it's about the eternal core. Jesus is just one of many things. 
By the way, Jesus don't play that game. And if you are, you need to hear, Jesus don't play that game, boy. Girl, Jesus don't play that game. You need to be asking yourself the question, am I in an eternal problem right now? Many will say to me, Lord, Lord. I will say, I didn't know you. I'm not asking if you're disgusted with God, if you're callous with God, if you're angry with God. But are you managing God like an asset? Soil number three. Is God just one more asset in your portfolio? Jesus, don't play that game. Soils two and three, shallow heart, crowded heart. I've already mentioned these are not carnal Christianity. That's a whole nother discussion. But that's not what Jesus is getting at. He's not saying like sometimes we fall over here and that's the case. Listen, we, 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 we all are growing and changing. Colossians chapter three. But this is talking about the reality of the position that I'm in. Where are you at? Could you be soil one? Could you be soil two? Could you be soil three? And by the way, don't be easy on yourself. And right now, God help me here. Right now, if you're like ticked at me, if you're like, Doug, you are so arrogant, you think you know where I'm at. Doug, I'm offended by this whole conversation and this whole talk. I just want to say to you out of love, that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to put on the table what Jesus is teaching. And the fact that you are in that place causes, should cause you grand concern. Because learners are like, push back. Press into me. I want to know. I don't want to go through life playing a game. I don't want to be hoodwinked. I don't want to be punked in this. Push into me. Push into me. It's okay. I let that happen. Let's find out where I'm really at in this. That's what learners do. But Doug, I went forward. But Doug, I prayed a prayer. But Doug, I was baptized. But Doug, I can't even explain the gospel. Doug, I serve in kids' ministries. Oh, friend. Do you remember the last Sundays? Even the demons said the right statements and took the right position face down before the Lord, and they are not redeemed. Well, let's take this to soil number four. I think this will help bring together what Jesus is pressing into. Soil number four, the fruitful heart, the good soil, verse 20. Uh, But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word. Everybody's heard the word and accept it. Oh, that's interesting because so have two and three. Two and three and four have heard the word, accepted the word. But look at verse four, or I'm sorry, soil four, and bear fruit. Hey, the proof is in the fruit. 
The position and the declaration must be followed up with continuation. It's the continuation that proves the reality of the position and the declaration. It's bearing fruit. What kind of fruit? Galatians 5, fruit of the spirit fruit. That kind of fruit, fruit. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Hey, are you passionate about those more this year than last year? Seriously. Do you have a yearning within you that it's like, oh Lord, more love for people, more love for you. Oh Lord, may I live more joy driven by the truth of scripture. I want more of that, more peace in you, more patience, more kindness, more goodness, more faithfulness, more gentleness, more self-control. Does that drive you to God's word? Does that yearn within your heart? Or does your ease and the things of the world drive you more? Listen, this is asking the real question. Is the spirit of God working within you? Do you have the spirit of God? Are you redeemed? And the person who is bearing fruit, they can sit back and go, I'm not perfect. I've got a long ways to go. And I see myself at times. I jump over in one or I jump over in two or three at times in my life. But listen to me. I'm telling you within me, the fruit is proving my position in the Lord. Does the fruit of the Spirit describe you? Is more of it in you this year than last year? Or frankly, did like when you were 10, you made, you made an altar call and you received Jesus Christ as your Savior and then at 12 you were baptized and now you're 32 and there's really no growth at all in you. You have to be asking the question, do I really know Jesus? Because there's been no fruit growth. But a person in Christ, they see growth happening. I'm growing more this year than last year. That Galatians 5 fruit, also Colossians 3 fruit. Remember Colossians? We went through Jesus Christ supreme. Put off, put on, and let, and let, and let. Remember it talked about how the believer in Christ is to put to death sin. We're to be like not just not coddling it or back, you know, boxing it up, but we're to be Putting it to death, it's something that we do and we're to be replacing that with things like the fruit of the Spirit. And, and in that, we're, we're to be letting the, the, the peace of Christ rule, the fact that I have relationship with Jesus Christ. Oh my word, the peace that I have with Christ. I'm letting that rule. I'm letting the word of Christ dwell in my life. I'm letting God's word permeate me at work and at home and, and increasingly so. And I'm letting the name of Christ compel me. Whose name are you about? Are you about your name, your family name? Or are you about the name of Jesus? Whose name are you about? Whose name compels you? By the way, it says fruit, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Man, this is so critical. Jesus knew exactly why he gave those numbers. The typical fruit in the day of a crop was 10-fold. So anytime the typical fruit was 10-fold, that was known in the day up in this region. And yet Jesus says, the person that's in Christ, uh, a 30-fold. A 30-fold is like a really, really good crop. That's not the normal kind of crop. It's an unusually good crop. Listen, God's people don't produce average fruit. You could go and you could talk to a Mormon 
And they love and have joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. But people in Jesus Christ are to be like way over that. And we're, we get so easy on ourselves. We want to do just enough. Just enough love to get by. Not over the top. And then he goes 60-fold. That's a once-in-a-lifetime kind of fruit. And then he gives a hundredfold. That's once on multiple generations kind of a production. Here's the thing. Jesus is not saying you're a hundred and you're a sixty and you're a thirtyfold. This is not a comparison. Jesus is giving the big picture point of listen, my peeps produce big time fruit in me. Are you? I mean, it's time to take assessment of the crops. Are you? Let me picture this. Okay. Here is the box of good dirt. Okay? Good dirt. Good dirt, you know when you plant, it's like fluffed up, it's loose. It's prepared to receive the seed. It's good dirt, and the soil drops down. Or, I'm sorry, the seed drops down, and it lands in. And the dirt's like, I'm about to seed. And the dirt, like, pulls it in. And then the dirt starts putting itself into the seed. It's nutrients, it's moisture. Everything that the dirt is about becomes about the seed. And then that seed, poof, It cracks out of that and it begins to grow. And it begins to grow and it begins to shoot up. Oh, wait a second. And it's just peering out of the ground. It's the cutest little thing. You know, like with the kids, you plant those things, you know, in the little thing. Yeah, we do that still. (laughs) And they come out. Oh, by the way, that looks like soils two and three right there. They hear the word, they receive it with joy, they endure for a while. And then wham, they get hit with the trial, persecution, water balloon for Jesus. I'm out. Oh, but the world, it's so awesome. It's so beautiful. But the fourth soil puts it in. You see the imagery here? The the seed comes in and the roots, Jesus Christ, becomes permeating through every sector of the soil. Every inch of the soil becomes permeated by the roots coming out of Jesus Christ. In your home, in your marriage, at work, more and more so. Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday morning, more and more so of your life is being permeated by the roots of Jesus Christ in the Word. And it's taking every area and all the dirt continues to put itself. By the way, trees don't grow very fast, do they? We have some trees in our yard. We planted them five years ago. Blasted things. They're still like, come on, boys, grow. But I'll tell you what, I am so grateful for that because you know what? You and I do not grow instantly. 
It's year after year. But, but think about this. If I went out in the backyard, two trees in particular, <laughs> they're important trees in my backyard. And it's like, if they didn't get any bigger this year over last year, I'm like, I'm having a talking to them. Mr. Maple Tree, dude, that's not what's supposed to happen. And then if it's two years and there's no more growth, dude, what's wrong, man? I don't even think you're a tree. <laughs> Listen, we look at that and we're like, no, no, no. It should be different next year than the year before. And yet we as believers in Christ get so comfortable in our lime good enough. I'll just hold it right here. That's not the picture that Jesus is giving here. Jesus wants to permeate every aspect, every corner, every crevice of your life. And the question is, are you letting him? And the question really is, are you the good soil that is doing that? And it produces, and fruit is produced, and fruit that multiplies. By the way, it's not just about you and Jesus, because Jesus' kind of people have impact on others. And people who come walking along the tree, they never go along a really good tree going, look at that dirt, that is amazing. No, 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 it's all about the tree. Look at the tree that's growing out of that dirt. It's all about Jesus. It must be about Jesus. It must be. And is it? We're not calling for perfection. But what is the heart reality in your life? You know. Many will call me Lord, Lord. But I never knew you. Depart from me. Final thing. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells about this parable, the four soils. And the illustration, the parable that he gives right after this that Matthew lists for us is the parable of the weed and the tares. Just just listen to me on this. The weed and the tares. Here's how it goes. The, the, the wheat and the field is planted and wheat grows and tares grow. Here's the thing about it. Wheat looks just like the tare. They, they look the same. You go out into the field and you see this whole field and it looks all like wheat. But the fact of the matter is, much of it is tares. But you don't know that. I don't know that. I can't tell the difference. But Jesus goes on to tell the story. He will come along and one day he will reap the harvest. And he knows who are the tares and who is the wheat. He knows. I don't, you may not know with others, but you know with you. And Jesus is coming and there will come a day when Jesus comes and he will reap and it tells in the parable, he will take the tares and he will gather them all together. They look just like wheat. They've been punking themselves out and they've been punking other people out, but they are tares and Jesus knows it and he's gonna take them and he tells them that he takes them over And they're burned. And they're burned. You you understand what that's talking about, right? That's talking about eternal hell. 
But then he goes on and he talks about the wheat and he gathers the wheat together and he says that he takes them and he puts them in his barn. Which soil are you? Which soil are you? I don't do this very often, but I am today because of the severity of this. If you are soil number one or soil number two or three, it is time to change plots. If you are soil number one, soil number two, or soil number three, it is time to change plots because you are, are in eternal trouble. I want to give you the chance, if you want to today, to just stand up and just acknowledge that today. I want to hear me on this. There is nothing cooler ever ever than someone who goes, I need to change my plot. I need to move from soil to. I need to move from soil three. I fear I've been punking myself. I'm just going to give you the chance if you want. Anybody just want to stand? I'm not going to, don't worry about it. I'm not, I'm not going to mess with you. I'm not going to go beyond. Praise the Lord. We had 10, 12 people in the first service. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? This isn't a notch on my belt. This is an opportunity for you just before the Lord, just to step out, just to step out and beyond. It's time, it's time. Anybody else? Praise God. Hey, could everybody stand? Could we all stand together? Those of you who stood, I want to challenge you with this. Today you need to talk with somebody. Today. Today. Sometimes one of the greatest problems why we get stuck in soils two or three is because we just live it all inward and it's time to step out. And I just want to encourage you, whether it's me, whether it's one of our elders or pastors. In fact, I'm going to ask, we have elders or pastors and pastors wives as well. Just kind of come up here at the end and uh, well, they'll be up here at the end when, when we're finished singing. And you just come up. If you want to grab someone, just tell them what's going on. It's that important. And maybe you didn't stand up today, but it's the kind of situation where you know something's going on within you and you got to do something. It's time, it's time, it's time. No more games, no more games, no more games. Hey, Jesus is serious, you guys. Eternally serious. And I want to thank you for being a church that allows us just to get in your face at times. It's not easy for me to do, I can tell you that. But we're in this together. 
as the pastor, one of the shepherds of this church, I do not want anyone to stand before the Lord and he go, I never knew you. Lord, thank you. Thank you for just what you've done in my life in this week through this. I thank you for how this just prods each and every one of us a text like this. This is heavy. Lord, I pray we would pursue after you with increased diligence. God, that continuation would be on our eyes. More fruit for you. More fruit of you in our life. Lord, we want to live our salvation. We want to prove our salvation in glory for you. And for those who need to drive the stake in the ground today, who need to change plot, maybe today the day where they receive you as their Savior, maybe they've done it in the past, but maybe they were convicted that there's no real gospel fruit that's been happening and they need to restake it today. Do a work that only you can do. Oh, God. You are just stunning. And we fall down before you and we praise your name.